I used to shoot up for him to throw the ball out and he would throw it off the balcony and if I never trapped it like dead he, would, he wouldn't let me play until I'd, I'd done it properly so he was quite tough on me I was sleeping in the living room in a block bed with my sister for ages for the first couple of months when I moved down here we lived above a pet shop I weren't certain people's type of player because I was small and wasn't strong enough I used to get that tagged a lot us growing up, he was um, he was an unbelievable player. Obviously, won the European Cup with Dortmund. Obviously, over the moon of him getting the job, thinking Scottish and Celtic legend. We've got a lot in common. I might might get a good few games under him. The yeah, Blues Villa Derby, I played in a few myself, and they kind of carried it on. To be honest, because I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a major, major player at Villa. So when I started to play against them, they would boo me. So I was like, oh, all right, this is a bit weird. We were having meetings, individual meetings, and I remember him just saying to me, like, try and get a move in the summer because um, you won't feature here next season. And the smell in the changing room was just outrageous. Like, the boys were like, what's going on here? We can't change in here. I just said to him, what have you done? And he says, wait till he comes in and you'll find out. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Right, I'd like to welcome Barry Bannon to our Claret and Blue podcast. Barry, thanks for joining us. So I've just just said to you off camera that uh, you must be pretty bored in lockdown if you if you come in to have a nostalgia trip about talking Aston Villa with us. But first of all, how, how's it treating you, mate? This this weird and worrying world at the moment. It's been a long time now. The first three weeks were kind of not too bad. Um, Obviously, I just had a little girl, so I was spending more time with her, which was was great. And um, so, obviously, being in Sheffield and living in Birmingham, I wouldn't. I only got a few hours a day with her before she had to go to bed. But the first three weeks were were good. Um, I was getting to spend more valuable time with my daughter. But like you said, it's getting a bit long winded now, and it's getting a bit boring. But like I said, there's more important things going on in the world at the minute, so we need to. Obviously, abide by the rules, and and hopefully it'll change in the not too near future. Hopefully, how's fatherhood treating you, Baz? Because I'm just kind of doing a bit of homework on you before before we started this, and I can't believe you're thirty. Where did that time go? I know I spoke about this the other day, actually, in one of the another podcast I done on the other night. There, one of the questions was, um, "What would you give an up and coming youngster advice today?" And I was like to never take it for granted because it's a short career. Like, obviously, when I was younger, people would say the same thing to me. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever, like, 15 years is a long time. But to be honest, it's it's flew past. Like you said, I'm 30 now. Um, I can remember coming through with Kevin, Tony McAndrew, like it was yesterday. So it's actually flew past. But I know I look a bit younger than I am, with the beard and that gone. But, um, yeah, I'm 30. It's hard to believe. Um like I said, I've had a, a baby girl this year, so it's a massive change in my life and it's something that I probably needed. I was I had my niece and nephew for a long time staying here with my sister in the house and I really enjoyed being a part of their life. So, like I said, um, having my own little daughter now is an amazing feeling. So you're proper hands-on with all that, Baz, in terms of changing nappies and doing the, the nighttime feeds and that kind of stuff? The missus will probably say different <laughs> with the nappies, but... I, 
very rarely change nappies to be honest I don't like doing that but if I need to if my missus is gone somewhere or something I'll have to get my hands dirty I'll do it so but all the other things like yeah I'm really hands on where um, I've wanted a, a baby f- for years now and she's she's been unreal my little daughter so especially at the minute as well where I've got loads of spare time to, to spend with and I try and make the most of it because like I said when it's back to football it's I don't really get to see her that much. I suppose it's a bit of a cliche, Barry, but is it has it changed your perspective on life and, and, and what's important and help you prioritise things? Hundred percent, yeah. Obviously before you have a little girl and you've got the girlfriend and all that sort of thing, it's kinda of different in a way because then when your little girl comes, it's something just clicks in your head that you've got to provide for them two people. Now it's not only yourself and being selfish, you've got to think about them too when your when decisions get, get made so it has changed me but I'd say it's changed me for the better Can I take you back to way back when when you were a young lad with a ball at your feet growing up in, in Scotland give us a sense give us a sense of, of what it was like the first time that you can remember having a football at your feet and kind of falling in love with a game It was mainly my dad really I know a lot of parents say nowadays they don't want to try and push their, their kids to play football but I don't think my dad could say the same thing because he was forcing me to play football, really. <laughs> but obviously, I loved it as well, which is half the battle. If I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't have done it. But it was just my dad was basically my, my coach from when I was a, a young kid. I would say he started taking me over the park when I was two and three. I always remember like there being two trees pretty close together. And I'd start off with passing the ball between me and my dad. And then he would take me further and further away from these trees and try and feed the ball through the two trees and stuff like that. So it was just little things like that when my dad worked on my game. And I, looking back now, I, like that's probably helped my range of passing because looking back then, it was probably just a little mess about game that kept me interested in doing it. But that's probably where I picked up my, my passing ability from, from a young age. And... A lot of that's down to my dad because he obviously had a good knowledge of football and and he kept helping me along the way until I got to the top top coaches that I worked with. What was your dad like as a coach? What was was he a useful player himself back in the day? Do you know? Or? Yeah, he was Celtic and stuff came um, to the door for him when he used to stay with my gran and she killed him a little bit because he was meant to be going on a trial with Celtic and they came to the door knocking on the door for him. My grand's opened the door and said, oh, he's, he's in the pub. She didn't know it was the Celtic <laughs> coaches, so they never came back to the door, it's safe to say. And what was he like as a coach then with you? Was he was he like competitive dad or was there a kind of yeah, how, how did how did he kind of get you get you drilled into it really? He was always hard on me. We used to live in flats as well, like we were at the top flats and I used to shout up for the for him to throw the ball out and he would throw it off the balcony. And if I never trapped it like dead he, would, he wouldn't let me play until I'd, I'd done it properly so he was quite tough on me but I think that's helped me to where I've got to today as well because I had three, I've had i got three older brothers back home in Scotland and I used to play with them and they would pick me up if I was going past them they would pick me up and throw me out of the way and that kind of broke my temper and made me more determined to not obviously get off the ball. I've done a bit of homework and I, I read that you, as, a, as a young kid you had to have three or four operations, is that right? I'm not 100% in this because I've not, not really listened to 
my parents fully about it, but I know I was rushed away when I was born. Can't remember. It might have been my one of my livers, maybe, or something. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Or my kidneys. I think it was my kidney actually. I had my appendix when I was a bit a bit older. I was five or six, and my appendix nearly burst. I think, and then I've also had a hernia as well. So I had three or four operations before I was eight or nine. I think, and I think that. The one when I was born, because I was meant to get born where everybody else got born in Bell's Hill, it's called, not far from where I live, but because I was, I, I wasn't very well, I got rushed into Glasgow and I was born in Glasgow as it is and got rushed away as soon as I was, came out, out my mum really. Do you think, um, do you think that, that kind of experience has turned you into, you know, you're kind of tough, tough, stubborn little so-and-so, aren't you? Do you think that that's kind of helped shape who you are as a person and as a player? Yeah, I think so. And I think also my, my upbringing as well, obviously my mum and dad gave us all they could give us, but I was brought up in a, in flats in a tough, tough area where we didn't get much, but what they could give us, they would give us. So that kind of always made me fight to want more as well. Um, which which helps and my mum and dad were good in playing a massive part of not letting me get carried away um, because they would always make sure I remember where I come from. I read another story about you, Baz, when you were a kid and you were a ball boy at Albion Rovers. I don't know whether whether this rings true or whether whether you you know whether this is an urban myth or what, but saying you were a ball boy at Albion Rovers and you used to stand by the dugout so you didn't get wet in case it started raining. And um, one of the days, apparently, the ball came to you and rather than just catching it and throwing it back, you started juggling with it and lifted it over the head of the, one of the players who has come to retrieve it. And you got a kind of standing ovation from the crowd. Is that is that true? Has that been embellished a little bit? Or? Yeah, um, I was basically played for Albion Rovers at the time and then every time it was a home game, it would be different players ball boying, but I always used to like, do it. It was 10 minutes from my house. I always used to volunteer to do it so I got most of the games in and I loved obviously watching football so I looked up to these players as well I didn't know any different I know they were League 3 at the time in Scotland but as a young kid growing up I used to think they were like superstars so I was just ball boying one of the games and the ball came and I thought I would. I forgot that it was a professional game obviously and I just got carried away and was playing with the ball forgetting that I had to give it back and the guys came in and it, it was just something that I would do if I was in the park with my dad or my mates, I'd just whip the ball over his head and <laughs> and forgot completely. I think it was a goalkeeper who was coming behind the goals or something to get the ball and I flicked it over his head and, and then the fans obviously went on. I don't know if they were that. There was only about 300 fans, but they found the funny side of it. I don't think the goalkeeper did, but... <laughs> So tell us how it came about then with Villa. So you're on the, I think Celtic are interested, aren't they, at the time? They're obviously your, your boyhood club. Were you involved with Celtic? Were you playing there at youth team level? Well, what it was at the time in Scotland, it had just changed to, it was the called Pro Youth or something. And I think that's what they took all their playing for trophies and leagues and stuff out the game and just played like games against other academies. And there was no, trophies and no leagues so I decided to stay with my my Sunday league team and not go to Celtic because maybe the competitive spirit that I am I wanted to win trophies I wanted to win like players of the years and stuff to, at the end of the season when they'd done that with your local club so I stayed with my team called Lindsay and Celtic when I was going and training with them and stuff on Tuesday nights and they obviously wanted to sign me but 
I was enjoying playing with my mates, playing for trophies and winning things. So I, I kept staying with my Sunday league team and I played one or two games for Celtic. But that was about it. And then, luckily, my Sunday league team were one of the better ones in Scotland. So we, there was scouts coming to most of our games. We had a few boys at Celtic, a few boys go down to Blackburn and things like that. So there was a lot of good players in the team and there was always scouts at the games. And I think... We had an affiliation with Aston Villa as well. We used to have the Villa badge as our badge. So the scouts came up and watched and then they asked me down for a summer camp to Bodymore Heath and that's when Celtic tried to push a little bit harder. But I think my dad played a massive part as well because the area I came from was rough and my mates and stuff, they all kind of went the other way. So I think my dad didn't want that to kind of happen to me. So we decided to move from Scotland after I had the successful trial at Villa and they wanted me to move down at 13. My dad played a major part because at first I was just starting to, I'd just done my first year at high school in Scotland. I was starting to go to like school discos and parties on Fridays and stuff. So I was just starting to really enjoy that side of it and my dad made me move. So... I didn't take too kindly to it at the start, but looking back, it's the, the best thing that I've ever done. Start you early up there, didn't they? Going to parties on a Friday night at the age of 13. Crikey, we was at least 15, I think. Um, <laughs> it was an it was an ice skating. Like, we used to go to the ice skating and it was like, not a party, but we all were at the ice skating and just like 20-odd of us from school it used to go every Friday and stuff. So, so can you remember the name of the scout that brought you down to Villa? Yeah, I still keep in contact with him now. Um, I don't think he's at Villa anymore, but it was George Grace. It was around the time I think he was he worked closely with Alan Muller at the time when Alan Muller was there. Um, obviously Brian Jones and stuff as well as I got older, but his name was George Grace. Um, but there was a special mention as well in my Sunday League manager because I think he's still he's still going. I speak to him as well, and Tony McAndrew obviously worked with the same manager as what I did, so it shows you how old he is now but he's still trying to do his bits and bobs um, he, he was called Ian Stevenson he was brilliant he used to because my mum and dad didn't drive so he would come like 30 minutes from where he lived to pick me up to take me to training to then drop me back and the same for games and stuff as well so he was a massive part of me getting to Aston Villa Talking about um, your mum and dad Barry, they've made some real sacrifices, haven't they? Moving, so have they, did they relocate? Have to relocate the whole family then, as a, when you were a thirteen-year-old? No, because luckily it was only me and my younger sister that were that needed to move. The, the others were all up a bit, like twenties and stuff like that. So they decided against it. So it was only me and my younger sister that moved. But yeah, they made a lot. Of, obviously, had to leave um, four of their kids back in Scotland, but they were all up and on with their own lives and had their own nearly just had, having kids and stuff so it was just the four of us that moved Where did you move to then in, in Birmingham was it Great Barway? No when I first came down I moved to Erdington um, I was coming down to Birmingham for years before anyway because there were summer holidays for well, Birmingham every every summer me, my mum my dad my sister we had family in Harborn um, and we had family in Sutton Coalfield so we used to come down every Every summer, that was our summer holidays as a family. So, luckily, one of my aunties had a she had a flat for us to move into straight away. As soon as we came down, it was 
it was just a one bedroom. Obviously, I was sharing the bed. Uh, I was sleeping in the living room and a blow-up bed with my sister for ages for the first couple of months when I moved down here. We lived above a pet shop. But that was just to, for my dad to find a job and all that. It was the only like, that was all we could afford at the time. And then as my dad started getting jobs and working, we then moved to somewhere else in Everton, just off Tyburn Road by Spaghetti Junction. And funnily enough, my mum and dad are still there. As we speak, that's where they live now. Yeah, they're still based there. That's brilliant. So you kind of, I presume then as a family, you kind of fell in love with Birmingham in a way then? It was funny because as I grew up and started to progress in football, I got to, it was 2021 when I signed my first real big contract at Villa. I bought my mum and dad a house back in, back where we were from in Scotland. And they moved back and they lasted six months and hated <laughs> it. And they moved back into the house in Erdington. So... Yeah, it's basically, this is where I'll live for the rest of my life, I think, so this is like home now. What was it like as a, as a as a young lad from Scotland having to go to school in Birmingham? That, that must have been a bit of a kind of weird adjustment at first. Yeah, it was tough at first. Um, it would have been tougher for my sister, but the icebreaker for me was football, obviously, playing in the school yard at football and obviously I was, I done well in the school yard and, and stuff like that, so yeah. You tend to create friends through that because um, that's just the way it is in football. If you're decent at football, you'll you'll, you'll get mates with people. So I found it obviously weird at the start, but I kind of made good friends and still good friends with them nowadays um, from my school. But I think my sister found it hard at first, but she couldn't play football, unfortunately. But she started to learn the Birmingham accent, so (laughs) she can flip. She actually speaks Brummy now and she only speak she only speak Scottish around me, my mum and my dad, but she's got her own kids and a her boyfriend as well now and she speaks English in front of them. In terms of starting out at Villa, so you you've, your family's making this adjustment so you can settle in the area um, and you're kind of almost kind of learning the law of the jungle in the, the playground by being able to, you know, being a really talented footballer. What's it like at Villa at that time? You know, who can you remember kind of becoming mates with around the fellow academy kids and that kind of thing? How was it like settling at the club? It was tough at the start. Obviously, I just, at the start, it was always like the people that had been together from seven and eight in, the, in my age group. So they were, there was really tight groups at the start so I kind of just I kind of just sat away from it if you know what I mean and just got on with my football and in the changing rooms I would just listen into what people were saying but then as you as you start to go you start to create bonds with people and I think there was there was um, a boy called Wes Emery that's from Northampton that I got really friendly with and little Reese uh, Reese Taylor his name was from not far from Erdington as well so I got really close with them. They were the first two people that I was really close with. And then, obviously, as I got older and older, I was like Kieran Clark, Adam McGuck, Wyman, Albrighton, James Collins. There was a lot of that came through at the same time. But it took a while to, obviously, make them friends because, like I said, they'd been together from under seven, so they had their own little cliques. But the, the management at the Villa were good as well and, getting everybody involved. I think I'm right in saying that the, your first couple, well, probably when you're turning kind of 16, 17, that age, maybe a little bit older, 
it was quite a successful time, wasn't it, for the academy back then? I think you won the league title, didn't you? And did you win the reserve league in the same year? Yeah, we won the we won the reserve league. We beat I want to say it was Man City in the final at Villa Park, I think. Um, and luckily, I was playing a part in both because I was in the a big fixture in the youth team, and Kev played me quite. I had a, my fair share of games for the reserves that that year when we won the league. So it was unbelievable, really. That's that team, like, I look at the academies now at, at every club I've been at, and that team that I was in at Villa at the time is was unreal. I've never seen a team that good from where I've been and moved on and went and watched the academies. That team was a strong team, and it just shows you, like, the, one of them's won the Premier League. There's other ones that are captain in their teams in the Premier League and stuff like that. So it was a really, really strong strong team that year and a lot of that goes down to the, the management as well coming through at Villa um, they were top top coaches looking back now as you get older and work with coaches you start to appreciate them more as you go on When you were a kid Baz what, what kind of um, rough edges did you think you needed smoothing off either with your personality or with the way you played football what do you think was the, the best lesson that you that you you were taught by the coaches there um, I think as I was coming through it was well documented that certain I weren't certain people's type of player because I was small and wasn't strong enough I used to get that tagged a lot but I think the coaches there like Sid and Kev and Tony, they, they were they never seen that side of it at all. They they just Kev and Tony and that just wanted me to work as hard as I possibly could because they said if I worked as hard as I could, then my ability would shine through and it would it would kind of put that strength and tackling and size thing to the the side if I worked as hard if I could run and get about the pitch. And my ability, the way it was, they they just kind of really forced that into me, and I just tried to make sure that I was as fit and as as fast as I could be. Really, what was it like for an apprentice back then? Around, obviously, you'd be kept separate in the academy side of the building, I should imagine. But what was it like around first team stars and stuff? Had things like cleaning players' boots and stuff like that, that has that disappeared long ago, or was it that kind of thing where you're expected to kind of do that side of the graft as well? No, I loved it. I loved that side of the the, the graft. Um, it was a chance to speak to the players really as well that you, you that you look up to. There was I'm trying to think who I had. I, I know I had Petrov in Rio Coca one year. I, I was doing boots long before Petrov and Rio Coker as well, like when it was Patrick Berger and people like that. So these were top, top players. So because we were kept away from them as well, that was a chance to really speak to them when you went into their changing room to get their boots. And we were annoyed these players. So I enjoyed that side. I enjoyed going to clean the boots because it was a chance to speak to these players that are playing in the Premier League. So um, I, we used to do that. I used to do that quite a bit. And... There was obviously boys that lived in digs that wanted to get home at the weekend. So I used to always naggy and Paul to try and do the 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 kit and that at the at their home games as well, just for something to do. I lived in Erdington and some of the boys that didn't want to do it, I'd be like, I'll take it, I'll take it because it was a chance to go I was going to the game anyway because I loved watching Villa obviously at the time. And um I was just used to go to the games and you'd be taking the skips off the bus into the changing rooms and you would 
and there's days when I was I got a picture with Cristiano Ronaldo one day as well when I was just in the tunnel. So I really enjoyed them jobs. It's, it's, as mad as it sounds, people probably say different, but it kept you grounded. But you got to meet some some of the best players in the world as well by by doing it. So do you think that kind of helped you when you realised you were kind of starting to get in and around the first team setup anyway? And what 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 was the first conversation? the first time you knew you were going to travel as part of a, a travelling match day squad or you knew you were going to be on the bench. Can you can you remember what that felt like? Yeah, it was amazing. It was obviously, because I was in the reserve changing room at the time, it would be Kev that would come and tell you that you're travelling. And a lot of people see Kev, like, see Kev as an angry Scottish man, a bit like myself, but he had the, he had the knack of making you feel a million dollars as well. Like at the right times obviously um, so my first time would be Kev would come and tell me that I was travelling but when he came and told me as well it wasn't just like a, you're travelling it was like you're travelling with the first team um, enjoy it you deserve it but, and all that and that coming from Kev he, know, he knew when to say these things and it made it made my confidence sky high so that day was a amazing day, obviously, because Kev don't really compliment compliment you much, but he, when he does, you know that you're doing something right. So, yeah, it was Kev that came and told me, and I remember it till the day I die, obviously. So, what was the first conversation that Martin O'Neill had with you then when you were around the first team? If I remember rightly, I was touching go to really get my pro, and it was obviously Martin that has the final decision I got going reports from Brian Jones Sid Kevin Tony I think obviously Brian had, Brian had given I got a good report from all the, the the academy staff but at the end of the day it's down to the, the gaffer who was Martin O'Neill and I remember my mum and dad saying when we were in the meeting or something that he mentioned about my height that was his only query about me but when I made my debut in Hamburg I remember him saying that my height wouldn't be a problem because I had a, a good heart and I had the heart the size of a lion. So I just, like I said, that from that day on when I, there was a question about my height and I was touching go for my throat made me work that much harder. So you come on in Hamburg, I think, don't you, for half an hour and then your next start. Am I right in thinking your next start was in that kind of controversial Moscow game when, when O'Neill got loads of stick for, for playing a weakened team? I suppose that, that, yeah. didn't ma- that didn't matter one bit to you, did it? You were, playing, you were making a full debut for Aston Villa. No, I didn't. I didn't mind it whatsoever. I was, I was playing. Like, I started that night and um, obviously the fans and stuff that paid good money wouldn't have been happy, but for me, it was the best night in my life so far. I'm obviously making my debut and it was in the Europa League. So that was amazing. And I think we were all, we, we didn't get embarrassed either. It was a weakened team, but I think it was 2-1 or something, or 3-1. I think we needed a draw maybe. Or I can't really remember. I know Wagner Love or something scored for them late on, but it was an amazing night for me. I think me and Mark Albright were the ones that started and maybe Nathan that night as well. So... Obviously, there was controversy around it, but on the the, uh, the downside for that, the upside for me was that I made my my debut for Aston Villa. Did you ever suffer nerves, Barry, or do you ever suffer nerves? Not really. No, I've always I've always said this because my love for the game's so strong. Everything that's been thrown at me, like when people would get nervous, I've been more excited because it's what I love doing. So I've never really. I might have nerves and I just don't know about it, but 
um, everything that I've had, the, ch- ch- the opportunity of doing it's been more excitement to go out and, and do it rather than nervous. The only time that I'd really say I was nervous was in training because you we were the first team we'd step in with the likes of the Gareth Barrys, your Ashton Youngs and that. It can be a tough school, obviously. Like The standard's so high, the demands are high as well. So that was the, t- that was the only really time where I would say I was probably nervous. But going into games and stuff, I was never nervous. I wanted to go out and play and shoot. So everybody could see that I was there. So having having made the the initial breakthrough under Martin, was it a little bit frustrating then that you had to wait so long for your next chance at Villa? I think you went out on loan a couple of times then, didn't you? After after that Moscow game, yeah. After the Moscow game, it was, um, and I was like nineteenth man a lot, travelling and not getting stripped and playing reserves. And the problem is, after you've had a taste of it, you want more. So it was a hard one because obviously the. I was never ever going to play there at that time. The team was so strong. I was young. Um, they were doing well. I think they finished six, three seasons in a row. So it was one of them ones where I went back, spoke to Kev after a few months and was like, what do you reckon I should do? And Kev was massive on me going on loan as well. He says, you've played the reserve league three years now. Um, it'd be good for you to go and play and toughen you up a bit. So dad became Colin and... It was it was a no brainer really. Normally, people at my age will get chucked into like League One and League Two, and Derby were in the Championship, so I was a bit surprised that it was a club that big. So after a while, I was just thinking, I need to get out and play. I've played Europa League now, like I need to go and play men's proper men's football, and it was the making of me really. So, with looking back on on your time under under Martin, then Baz. Do you think are you kind of do you have mixed feelings? Are you grateful that he was the one who who kind of gave you the pro deal, and then a little bit frustrated that you couldn't kick on under him? I mean, I've I've seen you quoted in the past that about Martin talking about your height, but you don't think you don't think that did hold hold you back under him? No, not at all. Like, listen, the team was that Villa team was probably the best Villa team that's been around for I don't know twenty odd since I've been down here. Anyway, it's been the best Villa team I've seen. They were six, three years in a row, so it's the players that were top, top end Premier League. So I was 19 or 20 at the time, so it was always going to be hard for me to force my way into the team. So I've got no ill feelings towards Martin. He gave me my pro, he gave me my debut. I don't think many managers would have picked me at that time in my career uh, over the players that were in that team, so... Nah, not at all. I don't think my height or anything played a part in that. So the next time you're back in at Villa, I think Kev Kev gets the caretaker manager's job, doesn't he, for for a month or so. Um, and I've just got this really strange memory. Do you, you remember you made your Premier League debut, didn't you, as a last-minute substitute? Tell us about that. Yeah, that was against, I think it was the opening game of the season at Villa Park against West Ham, um, if I'm right. And... Not sure of the score, but I know we were quite comfortable. I think we were three, three nil up that day. It was a roasting hot day, and obviously, I was thinking at the time because I've worked with Kev so long and the reserves, and I got a good relationship with him. If we get a couple of goals up and come like quite comfortable, he could actually put me on here. And I remember the third going in, and I was thinking this could this could be my chance here. And it was only short a short spell on the pitch, but just getting 
just standing on the side of the pitch and coming on to the applause and stuff was it's that's why you start football for them feelings and you kind of take them for granted but looking back in it it's some of the, the the feelings you get and especially that one making your Premier League debut um, at Villa Park it was unreal I'm, um, I'm not in the habit of name dropping Baz because I don't get that many footballers speaking to me but I remember that night um, being out in Meet You last, that night and you were quite generous I think you got a round of champagne in yeah I probably did it was probably every weekend at the time <laughs> at that time I was probably doing that so um, yeah Meet You was a good old stomping ground back in the day for the Villa boys so and we were obviously celebrating the victory in my Premier League debut, so probably thought you were some, someone else, though, because if I knew it was you, I wouldn't have got you a round of champagne. That's kind of you, mate. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, buy, you a, <laughs> buy, I'll buy you a glass of tap water next time I see you, anyway. Um, well, I was going to talk about Julio. Julio was next. Um, he rated you, didn't he, Baz? I think, did, he, did he make you feel, feel kind of special? He, he said some really lovely things about you. Yeah, that's what I really felt at home and obviously under the Martin and the era and stuff I was in and out in and out but when he came in he just suddenly took a, a shine to me and he played me well like a lot of the games to be honest and he obviously was a, a legend coming from what he'd done at Liverpool as well so some of the bits of advice and he just made me feel as if I was unstoppable at the time, obviously. A lot of the time, because of my height and stuff, I was getting played wide, but he used to play me in the middle of the pitch as well, where I was more comfortable. So, And I just remember at the time in training and stuff, he made like he made me feel a big, big part of what was going on at that time. And it was good, really, coming from a top manager like him that takes a shine to you. It makes you feel like on cloud nine, really. I seem to recall being at a press conference back in those days at Bodymore and... Uh, he likened you to Xavi and Iniesta. That was the end of me, that was. <laughs> Obviously my family and your mates and all that are on the phone to you straight away when they see things like that. But coming from a manager like that, it's if they're saying good things about you, it's a positive. So it was a, that that's another thing. Obviously, little things like that. You try not to read too much into it, but obviously people are texting you and saying look what he's saying about you and, and all that and He'd managed top top players in the past, so it was it was brilliant to hear thing coming from a top top manager like that. From my experience with, of, of Gerard as well, that's that's something that is intended to kind of give you confidence rather than something that's supposed to set you up. Is that the way you you kind of interpreted it? Yeah, of course. It's just to keep you keep you going. Obviously, um, if you're going through a good part patch or a bad patch manager will say things like things like that to try and keep you going and keep your confidence up so I was doing well at the time if I recall rightly and I think he was just trying to get that bit extra out of me and obviously by saying that he thought it could have happened so no doubt he didn't mean it because he's two of the best players to ever probably play in my, my lifetime. Can I ask you about that Man United game Barry when you were 2 nil up and I think there was yourself that had been Michael Brighton that had been Jonathan Hogg uh, probably Gabby uh, I think even Eric Lehigh and, and Chris Hurd and, and, and Nathan would have been involved that's kind of six or seven Villa Academy players who were kind of going toe to toe with and coming very close to beating a, a strong Man United side that must have been a special time to be involved in it was crazy I just remember probably when we were 2 nil up I just remember looking around and thinking this is it's mental, like, my teammates that I've grew up with, like, through the youth, 
we're playing against the best team that's been in England for the last 10 years and we're 2-0 up and I think that was probably the downfall we let that kick in and they ended up coming back and, and scoring too but I remember that day well because like you said there were six or seven of us in and around it and featuring majorly and it was like that's the bond we had I think that helped that day as well because growing up together you, you, you're like family really and we we fought for each other on the pitch and I think that's what happened that day we we just put in a great great performance and it was it was a proud moment looking around and seeing the people that have been with you growing up and fighting for what you all want it was it showed that day that all the hard work had paid off What were your feelings when, when Julio could no longer continue and, and, and Gary McAllister had to leave the club as well how did you how did you view that? It was a sad day obviously I've been waiting for my chance for two or three years whatever it would have been and he obviously seen me as being a big part of his plans for Aston Villa so to see that manager then leave and for the circumstances that he left with as well weren't, weren't great so it was a sad day for me. Obviously, he made me a big part of his plans and I was looking forward to what under him for the, the upcoming seasons. But obviously, his health wasn't too good and it deteriorated, so he had to leave, which was sad for the day for the club and especially for me because I was playing a lot under him and when he left, I didn't really play a kick with him. Right? So after Julia, it was, I suppose you were, it was followed by two Scottish legends, albeit from different different sides of the Glasgow divide. You've got McLeish, first of all, coming in and then and then Lambert um, replacing him a year later. What were your thoughts then, Barry? Because I've looked, again, I've looked through the history books and you're still quite regularly involved, maybe not starting all the time, but you, you still played a fair amount of football under those two managers, didn't you? Yeah, I played a lot of the games under um, McLeish. I played a lot of the games and then I had the drink driving thing where that's that took me, that was a stumbling block and pushed me back in my career um, that season because I was taking penalties and and playing out, I scored a penalty at QPR. I was playing week in, week out from McLeish. So then I obviously done that silly mistake of the drink driving, and that kind of forced me back that season. But I came back and played the rest of the season as well. I finished the season, I think, by playing under Big Egg. So yeah, I was, I was in and out under McLeish, but I would have probably played more games if it wasn't from my mistake that I'd done earlier in the season. So then after that, so we all know that it was a, a bit of a tough season all round for, for Villa under McLeish. And then then Lambert comes in. Would Lambert have been a kind of icon of yours and your dad's from what he achieved at Celtic? He was. <laughs> he was an icon. Um, Go on. Yeah, obviously, I was growing up. He was, um, he was an unbelievable player. Obviously, won the European Cup with Dortmund. And then he came to Celtic and finished his career at Celtic, I think. And that's when I was watching football with the likes of Henry Larson and he was the captain of Celtic. So yeah, he was when I when he got the job, I remember I done the kit launch that season. And that was the first time I met him because it was the summer where all the boys were away on holiday. And I got a phone call asking to come to the stadium to do the kit launch. The gaff was getting unveiled as well. So that's the first time I met him. And I remember obviously it's a bit like when Petrov come, I was starstruck at the start, obviously, because he's a, a hero of the team that I supported growing up. So, yeah, I was obviously over the moon of him getting the job, thinking Scottish and Celtic legend. We've got a lot in common. I might, might get a 
good few games under him. What was your what was your relationship like with him then? It was good. I think I had am I right in saying I was only there a year or t- was it two? Yeah, I think it might have been. When did he come in? He came in twelve 12-13 so I think that would have been yeah that would have been your last year at the club yeah I remember the first ha- half of the season I was playing um, it was between me Fabian Dell and Ashley Westwood I think maybe McCoon I'm not sure if McCoon was still there or not but I remember I played the first half of the season and then we obviously had the good victories away at Liverpool and stuff like that um, that we'd done really well in so I played a lot of the games first half of the season then second half of the season he went with Westwood and Delft, so I kind of just be on, started to be on the bench. But I was working hard in training. I'm not wanting to go to the gaffer's door and stuff. I just get on with it, tend to get on with it. And um, hopefully my, my chance will come again. I've never really been wanting to knock down gaffer's doors. Um, so but I just remember it coming. So I had no problems, no arguments or anything like that. I just remember coming towards the end of that season. And there was meeting we we were having meetings, individual meetings, and I remember him just saying to me like, "Try and get a move in the summer because um, you won't feature here next season. Uh, you'll be with the reserves and stuff like that." So that was a hard one to take because I wasn't a I wasn't a troublemaker or anything. I came in, worked hard in training, just done what I had to do, but. For whatever reason, I wasn't really featuring the plans. But what I didn't like was that I was kind of had to go and train with the reserve team and stuff like that. I remember saying that day that I would, uh, it'd be all right if I could train with the first team until I got something. And he was like, "No, I want the boys that ain't. I want my squad that's going ahead next season altogether. Another ones try to get moves elsewhere." And I was like, "Fair enough." So kind of ended in a. We never argued that it was all amicable, but. I didn't. It could have been dealt with better, probably. So it was, like I say, it was him who instigated you leaving. You'd have, you'd have been happy to stay. I mean, how long did you have left on your contract then, Baz? Did you have another year or two left? When I signed for Palace, I think Palace took over my last year, so I would have been going into my last season. I think, if I'm right, I think Palace just took over my last year. So yeah, I would have had that the following season left. But looking back now, I went to Palace. I wouldn't say I regretted it, but. Alan Hutton was in the same boat, I think, and stuck around and got back in. So, because I didn't want to leave, I was happy. I was, my family were here, all my friends were here. Obviously, I was at the club that I wanted to be at. So, I don't know if I maybe have stayed around. I might have got in as the season went on, but obviously made it obvious that I wasn't going to be part of it. So, when Ian Holloway got the job at Palace, I'd worked with him at Blackpool earlier on in my career. It was a Premiership team as well. I had to, I had to go there. I had to take the chance. Over your time at Villa, so you were there from. You must have been there ten years, hadn't you? Roughly from about the age of thirteen, fourteen to the age of twenty-three. Yeah. What was your, um, what was your favourite memory? What was your favourite thing about being a professional footballer at Aston Villa? My favourite memory was probably scoring in Rapid Vienna in the Europa League away because um, Kevin Tony, the people that. Had basically made made me who I were. They were the managers for that game. Um, Kev took the game and obviously took Tony with him to help alongside him. And I remember scoring and this is a video that I remember really well of Tony Max jumped and smacked his head off the, <laughs> the, the bench and they were just over the moon. Obviously one of the boys that they've nurtured through is 
scored for them in a Europa League game for the first team. So I always look back on that because that was a that was me like repaying them for the hard work. Really, there's some atmosphere there as well, wasn't there? For for a, a very early game in Europe on a, on a sunny August night, it was quite it was bouncing bouncing over there. Yeah, it was crazy. I remember Andy Wyman. He just started. I came on. And he'd done his ankle and that was obviously his boyhood team as well. He'd grown up and came through the ranks there. And uh, they had the mad ultra fans behind the goal and he was getting stretched off in pain. I think he was out for four months after that. They were throwing coins and everything at him. He was one of their own. It was mental. It was just, it was hostile. So that made it even better scoring there as well. So yeah, I'd probably say that was my, my greatest moment. And obviously the... The victory at Anfield when we won three one. Of all the of all the pranks that you've seen, either at Villa or um, uh, I- I- any other clubs in your career, Barry, what what stands out the most? Yeah, um, there's been a few. Obviously, there was a few characters at that club, um, but the one that stands out is when I was in the reserve team. There was the boy called Jonathan Hogg. And I think Sam Simmons at the time was coming through the youth. And Sam Simmons then summoned to Hoggy played a prank on him I can't really remember what it was and Hoggy didn't take too kind of it he's an aggressive person Hoggy didn't like getting bantered or anything like that so just remember him waiting weeks and weeks and we were thinking that's unusual Hoggy's normally bites back pretty quick and then we came in the one morning I remember we were in for nine o'clock and the smell in the changing room was just outrageous like the boys were like what's going on here we can't change in here and we seen Hoggy just sitting in the corner like chuckling away like laughing thinking it was the funniest thing in the world and he sat next to me so I just said to him what have you done and he says wait till he comes in and you'll find out so Sam's came in that day same thing Sam's been hit with a smell right in the face as soon as he's walked in he's getting changed and he's opened his, his locker up and I think it was his I think Sam wore the old Umbro XCIs and Hoggy had obviously took his, his Umbro XCIs to the toilets a few few days before, in both shoes and just put them in the in the locker room <laughs> and left them for a few days. So we just remember that and it was the boys were rolling around in the floor when Sam's pulled these boots out. He couldn't believe it. Were you kind of one of the ones who was kind of in and around all the banter and stuff in the dressing room? Were you one of the ringleaders? Yeah, I've always been chirpy and loud, so that's what kind of helped me with the first team as well before going and training when I'm looking back. Like, I was always kind of lively even before I broke into the first team, so I would have a bit with the first team players at the training ground as well. So when I actually went to train with them, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, in our changing room, there was quite a few, actually. There was a few, quite a few maniacs at the time. Um, so there was always stuff going on every day um, behind Kev's, Kevin Tone's back. But if they caught you, you, you were in for it. And I, I don't want you to upset Sheffield Wednesday fans by saying this, but there must still be a strong soft spot for Aston Villa. You must be a secret Aston Villa fan in there somewhere. Yeah, of course. Um, all my mates are Aston Villa fans um, from growing up. And obviously when I was 13, I was obviously a Celtic fan. But when I came down here, my English team was Man United. But because I was going to Villa games and stuff like that, you automatically have a bond with that club. Because I was still young at the time, that allegiance from Man United then changed to Aston Villa and I was supporting Villa. So, of course, yeah, I'm still a, a big Villa fan, obviously. Now they're in the Premier League as well. I want them to do well. It was different, obviously, when I'm playing for Sheffield Wednesday. I'm playing against Villa. I'm, I'm giving my all to beat Aston Villa as well. So I'm I'm quite lucky to say that I've formed two 
unbelievable bonds with football clubs since I've moved to England and one of them's brother and obviously now that I've went to Sheffield Wednesday and, and been at Sheffield Wednesday there's a massive bond with them they'll be, a, they'll be part of my life for the rest of my life now Sheffield Wednesday um, because what I've got there that I probably didn't get at Villa was the adulation from the fans I've got a massive bond with the Sheffield Wednesday fans where I, whereas at Villa I was a fan if you know what I mean but now I've got that that bond with the Sheffield Wednesday fans that I've never had before the Villa thing, I tell you what amuses me as a Villa fan, it's when you see you, you have little kind of digs at Blues on social media or if you score against them. I think that's been drilled into you, hasn't it, Baz, that you've got to kind of uh, wind up the local rivals down the road? Yeah, from a young age, obviously, the Blues Villa Derby, I played in a few myself and they kind of carried it on, to be honest, because I, I wouldn't say I was a major, major player at Villa. Like, at Bonglehors or like now with Jack and people like that. I was only there for a bit and I wouldn't have been the main player so it was weird so when I started to play against them they would boo me so I was like oh right this is a bit weird but obviously me not liking them anyway from growing up as a kid it stays with you until until you die really won't it do you thrive on all that though? yeah it makes you go that extra that extra bit even when I play against Villa because not just Blues when I play against Villa on Sheffield Wednesday it makes me try that extra bit because my mates at the end of the day are going to verbal me after the game if I lose to Aston Villa do you know what I mean so and me being aggressive and stuff I don't take too well to it I always got to react so it's like when I play against Villa I've got to go that extra bit as well and obviously playing against Blues with the fans and stuff on your back that's what you that's it it shouldn't they shouldn't really do it because it gets the bit I think it Things out the best in place. So, bringing you into the into the present day, then tell us why why it's been such a good fit for you at Sheffield Wednesday. Why is that felt so much like home? It's probably down to the fans, to be honest. Um, they took to me from day one. Obviously, the first season I had there was the best season I've had as well, which um, we got to the final and and lost. But just that day, for instance, I think there was about sixty seventy thousand. Wednesday fans are summoned to hold 30 or they, they, they just remember it when we obviously it never mattered because we lost but it, it was as if it was a home game and just from that day um, they've been unbelievable towards me and once once you get that feeling coming from the fans it makes you it makes you feel a hero and I, like, I've just connected with the club so from day one really and I've been there five years now which is a long time and I've enjoyed every minute of it. The only down point I would say is I've not got the club to the Premier League yet and that's something I want to do before I finish my career. I like the word yet in there. I was going to ask you what, what ambitions you've still got because we've got what another five or six years, maybe more from Barry Bannon still to witness. I hope so, yeah. I don't think you get certain players that rely on their pace and stuff like that and you tend to lose that when you're a bit older but I think I'm one of these lucky ones that can maybe play and my game won't change as much as it it would from when I was younger so hopefully I've got like you said another five, six good years ahead of me touch wood I stay clear from injuries and stuff like that Um, but yeah I want to play in the Premier League I want to um, like I touched on earlier I want to repay our, our fans back 
at Sheffield Wednesday for the support they gave me over these years and I want to get that club back to the Premier League if I can. Do you think kind of the Sheffield Wednesday experience is something that you needed? You needed because you've had you've flitted around a, a little bit on loan, you've been to clubs where you've been in and out of the team. Do you think it was actually not only the fans loving you but managers trusting you and picking you every week that's, that's helped you really kick on there? Yeah, I think I found a club that you, that you always find, you always see players that they find a club and it's, that's their home and that's where they'll, they'll be. And I think with my moves to Crystal Palace and, and things like that, and when I was playing in the Premier League with Villa, we were struggling in the league and it was more of a fight, which didn't really suit me. So it was, it was a bad time in my career because I was in, I was out, I was in, I was out. And for instance, when I found Sheffield Wednesday, it was a team that was dominating in that league. And we were and we were winning games every week. So I just seemed to to sort into it perfectly and the last five years have probably been the best football that I've played and I've and it's the most I've enjoyed football in my my career as well so far. Can I just um, finish? We're going to finish up. I'm going to give you a very quick Barry Bannon Aston Villa quiz. All right. So this is going to be five questions. I don't know what your memory is like. You can blame having sleepless terrible. nights. You can have blame having sleepless nights on your daughter if, if you if you're absolutely terrible at this. But five easy-ish questions about your time at Villa. So you ready? Yeah. Where you go? Right. How many goals did you score during your time at Aston Villa? First team goals. Yeah. First team. Two. Yep. Can you remember who against? Chief PR and Rapid Vienna. Excellent. How many games did you play? So this is appearances altogether, substitutes and, and starts. I want to say 78. Oh, not bad. 83. I'll give you that. That's near enough. 83 appearances it was. Who did you replace when you came on as a substitute for your debut away at Hamburg? Craig Gardner. Yep. Nailed it. What shirt number were you most commonly wearing at Villa? 25. Yep. And the final question, who was your final Villa game against in the 2012-13 season? Was it in the cup or was it the league? No, a league game? It was in the league. A league game. Newcastle. Oh, no, it was Liverpool. 2-1 defeat at home to Liverpool, apparently. Was it? So there you go. I can't remember it either, mate, to be honest. Um... Listen, Baz, I just wanted to say a massive thanks for, for giving up your time. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope it's been, a, it's been a bit of fun for you as well, taking a, a wonder down memory lane with us. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. It's, um, you'll always have a, you know, you, you're one of us, you're one of us anyway. You'll always have a place in our hearts. Um, keep doing what you're doing for Sheffield Wednesday. Keep winding up blues whenever you get chance. Uh, <laughs> and make sure you keep, keep that girlfriend and that little girl of yours and, and all your family safe during these uh these strange times but thanks so much for joining us mate top man thanks for having me thank you thank you for listening to Claret and Blue an Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode until then up the villa up the villa